Book Three, Chapter Thirteen of the Heavenly Twins. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. The Heavenly Twins by Sarah Grand. Book Three, Chapter Thirteen. Colonel Calhoun's first interest in Avadne lasted longer than might have been expected, but the pleasure of hanging about her palled on him at last, and then he fell off in his kind attentions. This did not happen, however, as soon as it would have done by many months, had their relations been other than they were. It began in the usual way. Little acts to which she had become accustomed were omitted, resumed again, and once more omitted, intermittently then finally allowed to drop altogether when the change had set in for certain evadne regretted it the kindly feeling for each other which had come to exist between them was largely due to her appreciation of the numberless little attentions which it had pleased him to pay her at first they had not palled upon her and she missed them not as a wife would have done however and that she knew so that when the fact that there was to be a falling off became apparent she found in it yet another cause for self-congratulation and one that was great enough to remove all sting from the regret what she was prepared to resent however was any renewal of the gush after it had once ceased she required to be held in higher estimation than a toy which could be dropped and taken up again upon occasion and Colonel Calhoun gave her an opportunity, and, what was worse, provoked her into saying so, to her intense mortification when she came to reflect. There was to be a ball at the palace one night, a grand affair, given in honor of that same fat foreign prince who had stayed with her people at Frailingay, just before she came out, and had been struck by the promise of her appearance. In the early days of their acquaintance, Colonel Calhoun had given her some very beautiful antique ornaments of Egyptian design, and she determined to wear them on this occasion for the first time. But when she came to try them with a modern ball dress, she found that they made the latter look detestably vulgar. She therefore determined to design a costume, or to adapt one, which should be more in keeping with the artistic beauty of her jewels and this idea, with the help of an excellent maid, she managed to carry out to perfection, which, by the way, was the accident that led her, finally, to adopt a distinctive style of dress. Always a dangerous experiment, but in her case, fortunately, so admirably successful that it was never remarked upon as strange by people of taste, only as appropriate." Colonel Calhoun dined at mess on the night of the ball, and did not trouble himself to come back to escort her. He said he would meet her at the palace, and if he missed her in the crowd, there were sure to be plenty of other men only too glad to offer her an arm. He had been most particular never to allow her to go anywhere at, alone at first, rather inconveniently so, sometimes. But that she had endured— she was reflecting upon the change as she sat at her solitary dinner that evening, and she concluded by cheerfully assuring herself 
that she really was beginning to feel quite as if she were married. But afterward, when she found herself in the drawing-room, it seemed big and bare, and all the more so for being brilliantly lighted, and suddenly she felt herself a very little body, all alone. There was no bitterness in the feeling, however, because there was no one neglecting her whose duty it was to keep her heart up, but it threatened to grow upon her all the same, and in order to distract herself, she went downstairs to choose a bouquet. She had several sent her for every occasion, and they were always arranged on a table in the hall, so that she might take the one that pleased her best as she went out. There were more than usual this evening. There was one from the Grand Duke, which she put aside. There was one from Colonel Calhoun. He always ordered them by the dozen for the different ladies of his acquaintance. She picked it up and looked at it. It was beautiful in its way, but sent at the florist's discretion, not chosen to suit her gown, and it did not suit it, so that she could not have used it in any case. Yet she put it down with a sigh. The next was of yellow roses, violets, and maidenhair fern, very sweet. With Lord Groom's compliments, she read on the card that was tied to it. He is back then, I suppose, she thought. Funny old man. Very sorry, but you won't do. The next was from one of the survivals, a man she loathed. She thought it an impertinence for him to have sent her flowers at all, and she threw them under the table. The rest she took up one after the other, reading the cards attached, and admiring or disapproving of the different combinations without gratitude or sentiment. She knew that self-interest prompted all of the offerings that were not merely sent just because it was the right thing to do. There was one unconventional bunch, however, that caught her eye. It was a mere handful of scarlet flowers, tied loosely together with ribbons of their own color and the same tint of green as their leaves. It was from a young subaltern in the regiment, a boy whom she had noticed first because he was the same age and somewhat resembled her brother Bertram, and had grown to like afterward for himself. His flowers were the first to arouse her to any expression of pleasure. The arrangement was new at the time, but it has since become common enough. He has done that for me himself, she thought. The boy respects me. I shall wear his flowers. They are beautiful, too, she added, holding them off at arm's length to admire them. The most beautiful of them all. Almost immediately after she returned to the drawing-room, Mr. Price was shown in. He was the person of all others at that moment in Malta whom she would have most liked to see, could she have chosen, and her face brightened at once when he entered. "'I have been dining with your husband's regiment tonight,' he explained, "'and I found that he could not come back for you to take you to the ball, and that therefore you would have to go alone.' and so I ventured to come myself and offer you my escort. Ah, how good you are, Evadne cried, feeling fully for the first time how much she had, in heart, been dreading the ordeal of having, perhaps, to enter the ballroom alone. The old gentleman surveyed her some seconds in silence. That's original, 
he said at last with several nods approvingly and that is a glorious piece of colour you have in your hand is it not she said more beautiful i think than all my jewels yes he agreed the flowers are the finishing touch the ball had begun when Avadni arrived and the first person she encountered was the grand duke who begged for a dance and took her to the ballroom a dance was just over however when they entered the great room was pretty clear and the prince led her toward the further end where their hostess was sitting there also was colonel calhoun and some other men with mrs guthrie brimston he had forgotten avadney for the moment and she was so transformed by the beautiful lines of her dress that he had looked at her hard and admiringly before he recognized her who's the lady with the grand duke major livingston exclaimed someone with a figure by jove said old lord groom loyal egypt herself said mrs guthrie brimston always apt at analogy why it's evadne said colonel calhoun didn't know his own wife by jove lord groom exclaimed well i hope i may be pardoned at that distance rejoined colonel calhoun confused royal egypt is more audacious than ever mrs guthrie brimston observed this is a new departure the reign of ideas is over i fancy and a season of social success has begun Avadne danced till daylight unconscious of the sensation she had made and rose next morning fresh for the usual occupations of the day but her success of the night before had so enhanced her value in colonel calhoun's estimation that he was inclined to be effusive he returned to lunch and hung about her the whole afternoon much to her inconvenience because he had not been included in her arrangements for some months now and she could not easily alter them all at once just to humour a whim of his but wherefore the whim a very little reflection explained it looks and tones and words of her partners of the previous night not heeded at the time recurred to her now and made her thoughtful but she could not feel flattered for it was obviously not her whom colonel calhoun was worshipping it was success and the perception of this truth suggested a possible parallel which made her shudder it was a terrible glimpse of what might have been what certainly would have been had not the dear lord vouchsafed her the precious knowledge which had preserved her from the ultimate degradation and the insult which such an endeavour as that of a woman she had in her mind to win back a wandering husband would have resulted in i do not care was her happy thought when she began to see less of colonel calhoun but a wife would feel differently and it would have been just the same had i been his wife he was not surprised to find her submit to his extra attentions in silence that afternoon because that was her way but he found her looking at him once or twice with an expression of deep thought in her eyes which provoked him at last to ask what it was all about i was thinking she answered of that painful incident in la femme de trente ans where julie so far forgot her self-respect as to try to reawaken her husband's admiration for her 
by displaying her superior accomplishments at the house of that low woman mademoiselle discrecy you remember she made quite a sensation by her singing et son mari revelé par le roque venait de jour vaillut la nerf d'un fataste et la prie en garde comme il est fait d'un actrice i was thinking when she became aware of what she had done of the degradation of the position in which she had placed herself how natural it was that she should despise herself cursing marriage which had brought her to such a pass and wishing herself dead colonel calhoun became moody upon this my having stayed at home with you this afternoon suggests a parallel i suppose after your success of last night he inquired and you have been congratulating yourself all day he proceeded summing up judiciously upon having escaped the degradation of being the wife de facto of a man whose admiration for you could cool under any circumstances and be revived again by a vulgar success in society she was silent and he got up and walked out of the house from where she sat she saw him go twirling his blond moustache with one hand and viciously flipping at the flowers as he passed with the stick he carried in the other a fine soldier-like man in appearance certainly and not wanting in intelligence since he could comprehend her so exactly but oh how oppressive when in an admiring mood this was her first feeling when she got rid of him but a better frame of mind supervened and then she suffered some mortification for having weakly allowed herself to be betrayed into speaking so plainly yet it proved in the long run to have been the kindest thing she could have done for colonel calhoun was enlightened at last and they were both the better for the understanding but the house seemed full of him still after he had gone that day and she therefore put on her things and hurrying out into the fresh air walked quickly to the house of a friend where she knew she would find a fresh moral atmosphere also she was soul-sick and depressed life felt like the end of a ball all confusion and every carriage up but her own torn gowns worn countenances spiteful remarks ill-natures evident that were wont to be concealed disillusion generally and headache threatening but fortunately she found a friend at home to whom she instinctively went for a moral tonic this was a new friend lady clan the widow of a civil servant official who wintered all over the world as a rule but had passed that year at malta she was a cheery old lady masculine in appearance but with a great kind womanly heart full of sympathetic insight and a good friend to Advadney, whom she watched with fear as well as with interest doubting much what would come of all that was unaccustomed about the girl the sweet grave face and half-shut eyes appealed to her pathetically that afternoon in particular as Avadney sat silently beside her busy with a piece of work she had brought lady clan thought her lips too firm as she grew older she feared her mouth would harden in expression if she were not happy 
and the old lady inwardly prayed heaven that she might be saved from that prayed that little arms might come to clasp her neck and warm little lips shower kisses upon her lips to keep them soft and smiling lest they settled into stony coldness and forgot the trick end of book three chapter thirteen